0: What's up, everybody? Anthony Gazenza here with the Orange Black Insider Bengals podcast. Hope you are doing well. We've uh, got a little later start than usual. It's my fault again. I know, I know. I'm that guy. I am that guy, John Sheeran. Always running late, always making you wait on me. Not fair to you. I apologize, but we're here. We're going to talk some Bengals football. We're going to talk training camp. We're going to talk all kinds of different things. How are you, my friend? How are you?
1: Look, man, you're the adult here. You have the actual responsibilities. So, like, you know, it just comes to the territory. Like, I'm, I'm just lucky I don't have to deal with that stuff, you know?
0: Responsibility sucks. Sucks, sucks, sucks. But that's all right. Anyway, we will, <laughs> we will uh, move on and talk. We've got a lot uh, to get to tonight. We're going to talk some training camp stuff, uh, some headlines and all kinds of different things we're going to talk about there. We're going to talk about... Um, We've got some fun things to talk about in the state. Your case will do that. We've got some other first place non divisional teams we've talked about. We've gone by divisions, breaking down the Bengals schedules and their opponents within each division. And then, of course, uh, we've we've there are three others that we don't necessarily see them play all that often. We saw them play a couple of those teams twice last year, but you know, not, some others that they don't see regularly on their schedule, we'll talk about those and kind of preview those teams. And, of course, uh, we have a remember when before we get on out of here. Before we get to all of that, I want to remind folks about something. We, last week, had the pleasure of having Mr. David Pollock, former Cincinnati Bengal linebacker, former Georgia Bulldog, and current ESPN anal- uh, analyst, college football analyst, on the show gave us about 35 minutes which was awesome he was only supposed to give us like 20 uh, and John i i don't know about you man I, I thought that was a really fun conversation obviously very personable and great dude
1: phenomenal storyteller too it's no surprise that he's succeeded the way he has on television and everything that has come with kind of being like a, te- a television journalist even though he said that it took him a decent amount or a decent amount of time to eventually get to that point but from linebacker to you know, survivor of his horrific injury to be able to just do what he now loves with College Game Day. Phenomenal human being and a phenomenal foundation that he and his family are running, the Pollock Family Foundation. We are running a fundraiser to, you know, help them out with all that they do. So if you guys can support his foundation by donating Super Chats or donating to to the link that we will have, I believe within the video, we would greatly appreciate it. We're going to try to keep it going throughout the next couple of weeks just to keep the fundraiser alive, but definitely check out that interview from last week. I believe Anthony posted a separate video on the YouTube channel with just the interview. So definitely check it out. It's definitely worth your time.
0: It was, it was a lot of fun and definitely not because of me, but uh, it was a lot of fun because of our guest. And as John said, the Pollock family foundation does a lot of different things. It's got its arms and hands and a lot of different awesome causes. They've helped out the children's hospital of Atlanta they help out at risk mothers, at risk youth um, with with a lot of different things with I think it's hope 139 is the is the foundation that they work with there. And then of course, they do a lot of different things promoting wellness, nutrition and everything within the family dynamic as well to help stop childhood obesity. And look, here's the deal. You see the website. Give, uh, uh slash Pollock family foundation. I think there's a typo. So we'll, we'll write that again there in the live chats, but give go.com slash Pollock family foundation. Here's the deal. You can see here, we've raised some money. We already, we haven't put in the super chats that we got yet last week, but we're way off on on what they now they have a lofty goal there's no doubt about it but we are way off and we are committing to helping out as much as possible you guys were awesome last year uh and and in other various endeavors javante words foundation and whatnot you guys were awesome bringing us donations and all kinds of different things and Um, you know, we're, we're just highlighting this charity. They, they want to do all of the things that they have been doing. Plus put on an awesome Christmas concert. We want to support them. We want to support David Pollock and every, everything, um, that they do at the Pollock family foundation. So please, you know, I, I don't like to hit up people for money for anything, but this is not stuff for John and I, this is all stuff for charity. So if you have, just think, if you listen to our show, if you've ever listened to our show once. Well, if you' do, if everybody did donated a dollar think about the the impact that that would have and the money that that would raise Not that we have this big listenership but I'm just saying if you've subscribed to our channel if you give a thumbs up to Cincy jungle's Facebook page or something if you just donated a buck to this thing we could make a huge impact so please do we've got prizes and we'll start announcing what specifically those are I've got a couple in hand john that uh, I think people will mm. really want to so maybe we got to start teasing some people give them some uh give them some dangle that carrot so to speak out in front of them uh to get them to get them going but uh please 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 i want to start the show off with just a reminder that we've got this going and we want folks to please help us out how they can
1: absolutely man and i just remember all that you guys did last year when we had um ken anderson on we had anthony munoz on highlighting the ring of honor and their foundations and i remember the emails that uh, i got because my email was attached to GoFundMe. And like there was a personal email that was sent from the Ken Riley foundation saying that, um, you know, thank you so much for this great donation. And I obviously attributed to all you guys, if it wasn't for you guys that we wouldn't have been able to do that. We wouldn't have been able to make an impact for that great foundation. And we wouldn't be highlighting the Pollock family foundation if they weren't a organization worth highlighting and helping out. So definitely help out if you can.
0: Please do. All right. That being said, John, Training camp is upon us. The Bengals are, we had our first padded practice, what, yesterday, Tuesday, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, And, you know, they've been doing some other drills and whatnot. Joe Burrow, obviously, slowly coming back from the appendectomy. And uh, he's been sighted on on the field and in the golf cart and all kinds of different things. And then, of course, we've got other uh, happenings and winners, losers, all of that. Where do we want to start?
1: Yeah, so let's let's start with Burrow, I guess, um, because he he was out on the golf cart, or I guess like the maintenance cart. That's not an actual golf cart. That's not the one where you put the bags on. That's the that's more the like the greenskeepers <laughs> okay you know, they use, but it, it's it's whatever Mike Brown has used for the past yes. thirty years. He has some experience yes. with that, and I saw him yesterday when I was down at practice live. But he was not out on Tuesday, and I think because for one, he just needs rest, so there's no need to have him out into the sun and walking around or just getting in and out of the cart or whatever. I also don't think that Burrow, like he's a pretty genuine person overall, but I don't think he loves to show any sign of weakness. And right now it's just post-surgery soreness. And he still have he still has that patch on his left arm where like the catheter was for in terms of for what the surgical process was. So it's still pretty early days in the recovery process for that. He wasn't going to be practicing a week after the, the procedure was performed, but you know, at this point things should be looking a little bit better for him. This is now entering the, the later part of the second week of, of the post-surgery process. So maybe by the end of next week, right before the first preseason game, we may have signs of him coming back or maybe him actually practicing for the first time, but I don't think they're willing to rush him at all. And at this point there's just, there's no way that he's going to play in that first preseason game. I and mean, he really doesn't have to at this point.
0: Do you foresee him playing much at all this preseason? I don't I don't see much really between the appendectomy between you know just the risk associated with playing in some of those games. I don't really see it you know him getting significant snaps but maybe you disagree.
1: No, I mean I still don't quite remember. I have to look back at this last year because it was the first year where they only had three preseason games, and I can't remember if it was the second or the third game where they left the starters in for the most time. Because mo- normally it's it's that third preseason game, and that's against the Rams. And they have practices leading up to that game against the Rams. So if Burrow does play any sort of significant time in the preseason, it's probably going to be that third game. But yeah, I don't, I don't think it's truly necessary for him to play more than just a drive if if that's the case. And by the time that third preseason game comes around, he probably would have had at least, at the bare minimum, a week of full practice under his belt. And they do get the benefit of having nine days between the first preseason game and the second preseason game. The first is the 12th, and the second is the 21st. So maybe when he's ramping up like the practice or the participation leading up to that second preseason game, they still kind of hold him out. Or maybe they have him in for a drive. That that, that would be like the most that I, I could foresee. But I think by the time the third preseason game comes around, He'll, pro- he'll probably play a drive at that point.
0: Could be. Again, it's just like, man, can we just have a normal Joe Burrow training camp offseason without any any stuff, any stuff. But apparently not. We'll get through it. He'll get through it. He's already out there uh, rubbing elbows, so to speak, with his teammates and, and keeping an eye on things. So Joe Burrow is back out there in some capacity. We'll just have to see. What uh, you know, what what that means in terms of practice time, playing all of that, but uh, no Joe Burrow. We talked a lot about there being no Jesse Bates. Um, I, do we want to go winners and losers, or I, I mean, I don't know if you go winners and losers, or maybe just people who have been pre- impressing yeah. at this point in time. Um, I mean, I I think, and I saw another clip from Dave Lapham talk about this, but Kwame Lasseter seems to be a guy that that is turning a lot of heads, and every year, John. There seems to be that undrafted free agent wide receiver, some guy coming out of nowhere, the, the journeyman guy. I mean, we've seen it happen time and time again with the Cincinnati Bengals touchdown, Jesus, Dane Sonzenbacher. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, the list goes on and on for these guys that end up exploding this time of year, uh, Damian Willis, right? I mean, uh, they explode this time of year. Now, whether or not it translates to something special in the regular season, but they make a name for themselves this time of year, be it on special teams and cutting their teeth on offense and everything. Um, and uh, so, you know, then it, it parlays into a final roster spot for these for some of these players. And Kwame Laster seems to maybe have an inside track at a very top-heavy wide receiver group, but some openings potentially at the back end of that group.
1: Yeah, this is around the time where you start to see the first guys kind of emerge, but it's definitely not – there's definitely more time for other guys to eventually make their names. And the Willis's of the world, the Sons and Bockers, the Jay Kumaro's, like those guys had great preseasons and we haven't even gotten to a preseason game yet. So right now it's just about who's actually getting reps, right? Who is taking advantage of opportunities because that's really the only takeaways that we can have from one week of training camp. It's just who's healthy and who isn't because whoever's healthy, they're on the field. They're just going through the motions. They're going through their first practices and whatnot. Just them being out there is a success. And the grand calculus of training camp health is the only thing that matters. But when it comes to Lassiter, I think Darren Simmons said it himself. The only way he makes the team. And this goes for, I think Trent Taylor too, or even Trent Irwin is if they're a pump returner or if, if if they win that job, I guess. And right now it's still Taylor, I think is the, top guy at the position, but Lassiter's getting plenty plenty of reps. You know He's out there right behind Taylor. He's working with Simmons in that regard as well, but also along with that, like you said, with the wide receiver group as a whole, T Higgins is still not participating in 11-11s. He's coming off that surgery. They don't want to rush him, so he's on the rehab field for a lot of practice, and Lassiter is now getting reps with the second team because Mike Thomas is taking Higgins' spot with the first team. So Lasseter is getting reps with the second team. He would be a second string receiver if he were to make the team as the sixth or seventh receiver. So, so far so good for him, but he's going to have to prove it in the preseason. We saw it with Alex Erickson six years ago when he finally supplanted Brandon Tate as the prime returner. Now he Erickson had an explosive preseason and that role, maybe Lasseter doesn't have to do all of that to supplant Trent Taylor, who is nothing really special at the position. He's just there because he's consistent. Like they, they trust him to not mess it up. With Lasseter, they're looking for a little bit more. They're looking for just more out of Lasseter compared to Taylor, a little bit more flash, but again, it doesn't have to be crazy.
0: So that's one of the guys that I've just been getting a little bit of buzz of late. What uh, What are some of the others that you have been seeing or hearing? I mean, obviously, there's some, some of the star players looking good. I see Tyler Boyd doing his thing, Joe Mixon having some nice runs at Back Together Saturday and all kinds of different things. But who are some other players that – we need to be watching and have been garnering some buzz. You were at the training yeah. camp practice yesterday, were you not?
1: I was, yes. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but Jamar Chase is pretty good. No, no okay. signs of a Yeah, no signs of a sophomore slump there. But again, this time last year, he was looking like he couldn't catch an NFL football. So a lot of these reports have to be taken with a grain of salt. But I think with Chase, it's just... The whole trope is that when you enter the second year, things start to slow down and you can play more to your speed now that you know what's going on. And that seems to be the case with him. There's no wasted movement. He's just playing fast and comfortable. So no no real worries there, especially with T. Higgins not practicing fully at the moment. But again, he's on his way back. I want to give a shout out to Dax Hill, though, because you know he's got the benefit of being in communications with Jesse Bates, like that relationship and that partnership is not experiencing wear and tear or any negative side effects as of now but him just filling in as the starter which he has been for the entire offseason but now now that the pads are on and there's a lot more on his shoulders I think it's been overwhelmingly a positive experience for him as the free safety going through the individual drills and then being in 11 on 11s the defense has forced a lot of turnovers which is naturally what happens at this time in preseason especially when you have a backup quarterback leading the ones. Yeah, of course. But Hill, I think, has been involved in at least two turnovers. I think he forced a fumble, and I think he ended up with an interception along with, I think, Eli Apple has got an interception. Akeem Davis-Gaither has got his hands on the ball. College for agent Delonte Hood, who's looking to make maybe the practice squad a cornerback out of Peru State, wherever that is. He got an interception, on, I think, on the last play of Monday's practice. So secondary as a whole has been really sharp, really able to read Brandon Allen's eyes. And again, limited playbook, limited arm talent in Brandon Allen. But I think he'll kind of just finding his feet pretty early in that role playing next to Von Bell and not looking out of place, I think is definitely a win, especially because again, he wasn't really that much of a safety at Michigan. He was a slot cornerback. Now he's playing in two deep shells or maybe even single high looks. He's playing closer or further away from the line of scrimmage more than he has since like he played in high school. So for him to look, at the least bit natural there so far through camp is definitely definitely a win.
0: John, can we talk about the tight end group? The tight end group is shaping up well, and maybe not in a way that a lot of people envision. I'm seeing some stuff from Drew Sample, not what you want necessarily out of a former second-round pick, but he's in this Ryan Hewitt type of h back fullback ish role in some packages, and he's getting out there and, and making some blocks. Again, not necessarily the type of yield you want from a second round pick but if it's a useful role and a helpful role in this offense to continue to pave way in the run game and and you know kind of create some mismatches here and there i'm for it and then you got the new addition everybody's excited about Lael collins of course everybody's excited about alex Kappa, of course and ted karras for all of the right reasons but lost in the mix of that is this team friendly deal that they struck with hayden hurst and he uh, made a very nice contested catch. By the way, Dax Hill was right on him. Uh, I saw that Dax Hill it was right on him. And Hayden Hurst is, you know, showing some nice things so far in camp. And, uh, you know, of course, you've got Higgins when he comes back and doing his thing. And then you've got Chase and then Boyd. But this is going to be a guy who's going to be in the mix, I would say, pretty often, much like a C.J. Uzama, if not more so, should he stay healthy and keep doing what he's doing.
1: Yeah. He's like the definition of buying low on someone because of the situations that he's been in with Baltimore and with Atlanta, never truly emerging as the number one, but having the talent to kind of do more than what he's been given in terms of opportunity. And now he has that opportunity and the, the overwhelming consensus is like athletically, he definitely fits the bill of a former first round pick who ran like a four, six forty coming out of college a few years ago. And that that athleticism, albeit again, very limited playbook. They're not asking him to stretch the field that much yet. It's just a lot of the lateral uh, routes and a lot of out routes to the side at the moment. But he's gaining separation, and when he's not gaining separation, he's using that six foot five, six foot six frame to make catches away from his body. And I don't think a lot of balls are hitting the ground when uh, passes are thrown his way. So again, very early signs, but definitely looking like. The tight end that they were expecting, and that's—I don't want to say—I mean, in some ways, an upgrade from CJ Uzama because of the things that he can do athletically, you know, the same reliability in terms of his hands, but the ability to kind of, you know, stress defenses vertically and keep guys honest and opening up space for your Tyler Boyd's the world, for your Jamar Chase lands, for your T Higgins over the middle catches. Having that guy in Hearst that can stretch the field, but can be relied upon in those contested situations that's what that's really all you want from a tight end and they're getting that at a cheap price. So definitely looking like a positive investment so far.
0: Who else do we need to chat about? I'm hearing some good things about Zachary Carter um, and, yeah. and maybe some others in there. I mean, who, who else should we be? We, who else should we be spotlighting and or keeping our eyes on, especially with, as these preseason games are on the horizon?
1: Well, I think just going back to injuries, like it hasn't been all negative. Like Lyle Collins still hasn't been practicing, but he's yep. working on the side, but, both Joseph Osai and Alex Kappa they started the training camp. Like I think they both started on the pup list. Or maybe no, Osai did not start on the pup list. Kappa did start on the pup list. He was activated. He quickly went through just individual drills at first. And now he's being integrated into eleven on 11s which is definitely positive. He I don't think he practiced that much the last time on Tuesday. It was it was a team of and a right guard for him. But Osai had his first padded practice yesterday as of this recording, and it doesn't look like. Like anything's physically limiting him, which is definitely important. Like he's he's a year removed from tearing his meniscus, which is a pretty severe injury. It's not doesn't get the public the publicity of, of like a torn ACL, but it's what I believe took Andrew Billings out of commission when he was a rookie. So it was almost like the mm-hmm. same timeline. Billings missed his entire rookie season. Then he came back very strong as a second year player in 2017. And Osai, I think, is on that same trajectory. Very limited reps uh, yesterday. He was going up against Isaiah Prince which upset a lot of people on Twitter because I've said Prince did not look very good in that one rep that I, I filmed of him. But Osai, being as explosive as he was coming out of Texas, but being able to kind of cut and turn on that knee is what is what is important right now. And he has that trust. And obviously the coaches have that trust that he can do that. Otherwise they wouldn't have put him in pads and put him through these drills. So he's definitely, definitely looking 100% healthy, no real setbacks, nothing really holding him back. So shout out to him.
0: And again, I mentioned his name, Zachary Carter. He's been flashing a little bit. I believe it was Dan Hort. I could be wrong about that. Who Mm -hmm. was talking about him doing a a lot of nice things at practice. So quietly, I mean, we talk about how important Trey Hendrickson is and DJ Reader and Sam Hubbard and all, you know, all of these guys. And for good reasons, they're starters. They get heavy amounts of snaps and whatnot, but two very, very important players on this defense or Zachary Carter, presumably, if he's going to be in there as that rotational, get in, you know, get inside, maybe kick outside here and there. And then, of course, uh, who you just mentioned, Joseph Osai, to give them a little extra juice and another rotational edge rusher. Um, kind of like what Lawson was, Carl Lawson was early in his career, that rotational guy that would come in and seemingly just kind of bring that extra spark from those others that, that he was a little bit behind on the depth chart that's what we're hoping for out of Joseph Osai and it sounds like at least early he's providing a little bit of that excitement that we saw through only one game of the preseason last year.
1: And I think with Carter, I mean you got to remember like he was all over the line at Florida yep. during his years there and now he's basically a full-time defensive tackle either playing over the the shoulder of the tackle or over the shoulder of the guard, but with this defensive tackle group that they have, like he's the only like real chance that they have of a pass rushing presence behind BJ Hill. So him at this point showing any positive like process as a pass rusher in terms of just stringing together moves and generating uh, pressure and generating push in the pocket, it's definitely a plus. And that's what he showed in, in pads for the first time yesterday. It's important to know he's listed as 290 on the official team roster, and I believe he was like I think he was around 280 when he was testing at the combine. So I think he's gained some weight. The coaches have said that he played at 290 in Florida. So this is a, a weight that he's familiar with, but it's definitely more closer to that interior player. So if he's able to, you know, maintain whatever explosion and speed that he has at a weight where he can survive inside, it's definitely good for him. But I'm I'm excited to see how he how he fares up in the preseason against backup offensive linemen, albeit he's going up against mostly backup offensive line offensive linemen right now, but him just to be more than just a guy who just kind of just runs straight at the offensive line right now. It's very important because they need alternative options at interior pass rusher behind BJ Hill.
0: For sure, uh injuries before we start, we we kind of move on here. Nothing. I mean, you mentioned kind of, you know, some of the the guys who were initially coming into camp, not expected to practice, not expected to play and how they've been eased in and out of there. Anything of note that uh, we need to be caught up on that has transpired during camp?
1: So we already mentioned Kappa. He started on the pub. Mm-hmm. He's activated. Now he's on track to being like a full participant sometime, probably probably next week. The is fine. Higgins, I-, I think he's pretty close to being a full participant. Like, again, he's participating in drills and whatnot, but they're giving him time to rehab and, and rest and whatnot. I think he was seen... On the practice field yesterday, kind of frustrated, like I'm tired of being over on this field. I want to be out there with the guys and pads and whatnot. So I think he's pretty close to coming back. And there's nothing tremendously wrong with him. Again, he's coming off of of off of offseason surgery and they don't want to rush him when they don't have to. Uh other than that, Khalid Kareem, he's still on the pup list, Brandon Wilson, he's still on the pup list, Joe Bachi. He's still on the pup list and Lowell Collins is still on the non-football injury list, but all those guys are doing rehab work on the side field. Nothing too long-term with any of them. Um, I I guess with Kareem and I guess with the guys on the pup, it's more of like a wait and see, but Collins is listed as day to day. And I mean, that could be, that could mean anything, but he's, he, he, he looks okay. Like again, they're not pushing him too much and we won't really see how he's doing until they start pushing him. But For now, no setbacks. It looks like.
0: Yeah, and then you're, of course, seeing a lot of these players in the the helmet shells to help alleviate, you know, possible concussion issues and all of that. So that's that's good. And then, Mm -hmm. of course, you know, you've got Zach Taylor and company still kind of adopting that mindset and that approach from last year, wherein proper rest, making sure they really have this open line of communication with players in terms of, you know, is there an. potential to a soft tissue injury or a ligament, you know, these things that lead down the road and uh, really helped them stay largely healthy last year. And I think they're still adopting that mindset. It would seem so hopefully, especially with the one less preseason game once again, and, and other factors, we're hoping that the injury bug kind of stays away from Cincinnati once again this year, because that is for sure going to be needed to continue their possible championship run here. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John sheeran I'm Anthony Kazenza. We're talking a little training camp update with the Cincinnati Bengals. We've got a couple other things on tap and just want to remind all of you that you can get this show and the other great shows on the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel, Coach Speak and Chalk Talk with Coach Matt Minnick, as well as talking. Football with Bengal, Jim, and Friends, and our show, The Orange and Black Insider, on the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel through your favorite audio streamer, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. We are on all the major platforms there. Go subscribe to the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel. Leave us a review, hopefully, a five star one helps us uh, continue to grow the channel and let us. Uh, I guess, stroke our egos a little bit, but also just uh, let us know what we're doing. Let us know what you like, maybe what you don't like, all that kind of stuff. But hopefully you're enjoying all of the stuff that we are putting out there for you. You can also, if you like the video, you can give a thumbs up to the Cincy Jungle Facebook page, about 90,000 strong there or so. And then, of course, you can uh, get the YouTube videos by subscribing to our YouTube channel down up by the icon underneath the sb nation since jungle logo if you're watching our live video there click that and then of course the bell to be notified when we go live when new content is available we're coming up on some milestone follows and or subscribers be it from our twitter account and or our youtube channel so uh maybe we'll do another fun giveaway we got to incentivize the hell out of these people john we got to get them to to we got to give them prizes or Tease them with prizes to get them to donate to the Pollock Family Foundation. Then, of course, uh, maybe we'll do a little giveaway as well for some milestone subscribers and followers. But we appreciate all the support. We joke, obviously, but um, we appreciate all the support. Right, John? Absolutely.
1: You guys are all good people, but, you know, it doesn't hurt to have a little little bit more incentive, you know, to... (laughs)
0: Get started at one of our local financial centers or twenty four seven in our mobile banking
1: app. Find a location near you at Bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, Member FDSSE Uh, all right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about uh, some some kind of fun things here with the Cincinnati Bengals. So uh, here's the state your case coming up. Well, John, we've kind of known that the city of Cincinnati, I, you know, I'm not from there. I've been there. I love it. Um, We've known that the city of Cincinnati is great and it's got a lot of cool things, a lot of great things about the city, a a ton of great people, but a new added dimension of cool obviously came with the arrival of Joe Burrow to the Cincinnati Bengals, Joe cool, right? I mean, that's just how, how it goes with that. And with Joe Cool. There's been this ushering in of, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, but a lot of different initiatives, you know, and you can tie it to him, you can tie it to just, you know, the front office, and rightfully so the front office doing uh, a lot of different things to bring the team to modern times, if you will, and Talk about the Ring of Honor, talked about all kinds, you know, all the things we've talked about for months and months and months on, on this program and through various different platforms. But now, John, the Bengals are doing something that continues to make them a very, very cool NFL franchise. And one of the things that we have been hearing rumor wise is in some of the improvements proposed improvements being made to the Paul Brown stadium grounds. Have you heard about this?
1: I have. Yeah. There's some renderings online.
0: There are some renderings online and we will pull this up for you here on, I think this is from WCPO, but my gosh, this is the coolest of the cool, my friend. I mean, we're talking a live sports betting club, a nightclub, uh, let me let me pull up all this stuff and there are renderings here this is again wcpo i believe in cincinnati um you look at this my word it is crazy what they're talking about uh, you know standing room only decks drink rails nightclub skybridge to connect the upper concourses and then i mentioned the live sporting be- uh, sports betting club this is vegas-esque my friend this is like the raiders new stadium i don't know exactly what it's going to be like and what their you know what their envision is but this is this is really really awesome stuff really cool stuff and you just to me following this team and you know a little bit of buttoned down middle america and whatnot i just when you're talking about a nightclub at the football stadium you're talking about a sports betting club whatever that may look like this is cool stuff man um I'm pretty, I'm pretty psyched about this. I don't know if if you are, if other Bengals fans are. Again, yet to be seen. Totally, what this idea looks like, but this is this is really really neat.
1: Yeah, let's show the let's show the viewers like the, the renderings. I believe there was like a picture of I think that's on the stadium. They're going to update the north scoreboard and like take out um, I believe like the second deck of, of seats, but like put like a mezzanine behind, and they're going to have like standing room uh, only type. Type of mezzanines on one of the corners as well when you talk about all the all the amenities included here i like think this is like a 500 million dollar renovation so a hopefully the stadium like has more stuff to do inside of it because it's got the moniker of like a prison for the past 20 years with with the gray <laughs> kind of concrete interior that's going on there's not that much to do in it so yeah it's definitely behind the times compared to the sofas of the world or or the or the Roomba uh las vegas Uh, Stadium. You have just every stadium now is a billion dollar or multi-billion dollar investment with the hopes of hosting the Super Bowl. And Mike Brown said it himself, like he doesn't envision in Cincinnati there ever being some type of Taj Mahal type stadium along the banks of of the Ohio. It doesn't really fit with the aesthetic and just the vibe of the city in general. So the overall, I think, look of the stadium from the outside will remain the same, but there would definitely definitely be upgrades and enhancements in terms of just the structure of the stadium like that obviously needs to be updated it's it's 25 years old by the time a lot of these things will be finished but when we talk about a nightclub sports betting bar, bar or anything else in there that fans might be interested in the stadium needs to be value valuable to the county itself because the county will have to decide if they want to renew the lease to pay for all of this like hamilton county taxpayers are going to be Uh, financing most if not all of these upgrades so they're half they're going to have to find ways to incentivize people who live in cincinnati or near cincinnati to visit paul brown stadium for things that don't even have anything to do with the Bengals. like you can host a wedding there you can have parties there and if you have concerts amenities such as yeah concerts if you have amenities such like as a a nightclub i mean for at least some people that's a positive return on investment so these are definitely a lot of cool things and if you're not going to build a new stadium or completely redo the the structure, integrity of Paul Brown Stadium, just making more stuff to do or just a nicer interior and just making sure that the stadium stays upright and is fit with the times from an engineering standpoint. That's really all that matters here. And it's not going to be a multi-billion dollar investment, like we said, but it's still going to be a good chunk of change for Hamilton County taxpayers. And I think they want to see that money go to, to useful things. And You know, maybe there might be some older taxpayers that have want nothing to do with a nightclub necessarily, but this is definitely for the future of, I I guess, the the population of the county and and also just the future of where the team is going. And if people want to visit Paul Brown Stadium to watch Joe Burrow play for the Bengals, they want to visit a stadium that they they can have fun in. I think this is kind of progressing towards that.
0: It is, and I mean, we're showing a lot of different pictures and. John, uh, do you know where they got these? The person, one of the the designers, I think. Do you know where one of these uh, the people coming up with these renderings? Um, do you know where they got. I'm them assuming
1: from? it's from your neck of the woods, there, my friend.
0: Here it is, right here, Los Angeles yeah. based. <laughs> Los Angeles based. That's why it's so cool. I'm kidding, obviously. Uh, but no, that uh, it, regardless, really, really neat, and it's just every year for the past three years four years now there's just these exciting change whether it's getting a joe burrow whether it's the ring of honor whether it's you know all of these different things and these now the the stadium renderings man this is just it's it's fun and you just keep talking about all this cool stuff and the changes and now it's almost like now they're just playing catch up from all the years that they were so far behind yeah. now. It's just like, boom, 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 boom. It's one after another. It's a big domino effect of all of these big changes. And it's almost hard to keep up with all of them. The helmets, I, right. The jerseys, right. I mean, yeah. the whole deal.
1: It's all kind of coinciding with, you know, the firing of Marvin Lewis and the drafting of Joe Burrow. And I, I, I wonder if, you know, some of these things would still be coming just because the, the, the lease is up in five years and they can extend or like push that, uh expiration date down the road for like another five years or so but they still like they want to remain in cincinnati and they want to you know not force this upon taxpayers like they did 30 years ago which is what kind of villainized mike brown in the first place with, with that whole stadium deal in the mid 90s so the fact that the team is good the fact that the team is marketable freaking paul Brown stadium might not be called paul Brown stadium anymore because of that simple <laughs> yeah. fact there um yeah you're right it's just a lot of stuff happening all at once but i do wonder if these things would have still been happening just because the stadium deal is up but now because of all those things that i just mentioned i think it's more appeasing to the people who are actually going to pay for this
0: it is and uh you know again it could be a little bit more of a multi-use um a little bit more of a multi-use type of facility than just the you know the Bengals game is being being held there, at least more so than it already is. So really cool stuff. Cool artist renderings. We put the link in the live chats there from WCPO to see all the artist renderings and, and mock-ups of what they're what they're thinking about doing. So go check that out. Um really cool stuff. Do we even dare talk about to close up state your case? Do we even dare talk about the Deshaun Watson stuff? We covered it a little bit on the happening headline show yesterday. Um a little bit more of an update today, John.
1: Yeah. So just for the sake of it being topical, about five hours ago, the NFL officially decided to appeal the suspension of Deshaun Watson. Watson was, um, or Judge Sue Robinson uh, recommended that Watson be suspended six games, and that was going to be the suspension. If the NFL decided not to appeal, they used their right to appeal, and now it's going to either Roger Goodell or or his designee to kind of oversee the appeal. He could choose, I guess, an owner in that case. But it kind of feels like it's going to go back to Goodell because the NFL did want to hand out an indefinite suspension for Deshaun Watson for the for the findings that they found within their investigation. And those findings were then corroborated by Judge Sue Robinson and her findings. And the only reason why she didn't hand out a lengthier suspension than six games is because of the NFL's own terrible precedent for handling sexual misconduct, sexual assault, domestic abuse cases. And she didn't want to set the precedent herself. She left that potentially to Goodell. And in all likelihood, Goodell and the NFL will exercise their right to suspend Watson with the length that they want to. It could go to court. They could file for an injunction, which has happened with Ezekiel Elliott. It's happened with Tom Brady. And those players played while their cases were happening. And then they were suspended later on so this very well could lead to Deshaun Watson playing in week one for the Cleveland Browns or maybe even the entirety of the 2022 season but rest assured the, the suspension is still is still coming like Godel will eventually reach a suspension that cannot be like discussed it can't be like debated like it's whatever he says is final it just might go to court first but Anthony like the case against Watson is pretty damning and it doesn't seem like a, a court is going to kind of fit favor for an injunction here. It kind of seems like the NFL has the evidence that they need to give out the suspension that they want for Watson. And I know people are saying, Oh, you can't undermine the judge for her first ruling with this agreement with the, with the NFL's player of association and the NFL. But Really, like the, the the rulings that she found is that, yeah, he did all these things, and I just don't want to be the one who suspends him for the entire season.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if this thing changes here. And I, I know you and I were a little surprised a few weeks ago when we had Jeff Lloyd on from the Lockdown Browns podcast when he said, yeah, I'm thinking six to eight games, right? I mean, we thought it was going to be 10, 12, maybe a full season. I still don't think it's going to be a full season. I don't even know if it's going to be – Twelve, but I, I don't know that six is going to stick. Um, I, I, I you know, I, I would not be surprised if this gets changed here.
1: No, they they want indefinite suspension because to their credit, they recognize that what he did is unprecedented in their history of awful cases of sexual misconduct and domestic abuse and everything that kind of falls under that uh, under that umbrella. So to their to the NFL's credit, they tried to set a new precedent because the precedent that they have with these cases is inexcusably lenient when it comes to what the... And all over the map, even. Things. 100%, too. They, the, the inconsistencies is why Robinson was appointed judge and was given the chance to be the independent arbiter, that which is what, like, they wanted to take this out of Goodell's hands because he proved that he was inept in this regard and completely inconsistent and just relying on public outcry. And they might still be relying on public out- outcry to an extent, but if that is what gets them to to make the progress that they need to, to actually take these cases seriously and to actually show a semblance of caring about women in, in the sport and just in general, then that's, that's still progress. So like the, the, the suspension is coming. They, they want it. They, they realized that the evidence is too damning. He did it. He's not remorseful for it. So that's not going to go well for a settlement. It's just an ugly situation that never should have got this far, but rest assured Deshaun Watson will be suspended for a decent amount of time.
0: Yep. I am in agreement with you. All right that's a little bit of state your case. We, we do that from time to time where we give a, opinions and talk about all kinds of different things. So hopefully you enjoy that. All right, let's get to briefly. We always say briefly on these, but let's get to the remaining teams. We did in-depth interviews from people who cover the AFC North teams. So go back and check those out to get a little preview of what's going on with the division. We, John and I went through other divisions that the Bengals face. We did AFC East, NFC South. And now we've got the three other teams here, John, that comprise the rest of their schedule. And they were all first place teams within their respective divisions last year. All made the playoffs last year. And the Cincinnati Bengals against them went a combined 3-0. So we've got the Dallas Cowboys, the Tennessee Titans, and the Kansas City Chiefs. The Titans were the one seed, I believe, right, in the in the mm-hmm. postseason last year. And then you had the Chiefs, who had the one seed and then lost to the Bengals. And the whole thing kind of snowballed into this Bengals momentum in the late season and in, in, into and through the postseason. Bengals did not face Dallas last year. Dallas had a good season last year. Let's start there, if you're okay with that, because I think a little bit more interest will be paid to the other teams that the Bengals will be rematching against – Uh, from last year's playoff game. So let's start with the Dallas Cowboys. We will pull up their roster on their official team here. This is a team, John, to me. Now, I I don't pretend to know absolutely in depth of everything that the Dallas Cowboys do and every single player on here. uh, But from what I've seen in roster attrition and just some other... Things going on here potentially they were maybe trying to lure sean payton away some of the rumors there <laughs> and there's maybe some other mutiny type of things like that i guess going on behind the scenes you you, you lose amari cooper you lose leo collins um connor williams right don i mean so there are some questions on this team i their their division remains eh, and a lot of questions remain there between the eagles the cowboys the commanders and, you know, I mean, there's just questions all over the place, right? This team, though, I don't really see them as big of a threat as they were maybe last year or even a couple of years ago, prime Zeke, etc. cetera.
1: Yeah, it definitely seems like last year was the, the year for them to actually do something when they had Amari Cooper, when they had that entire offensive uh, line together. Their defense, though, it, it definitely held them back, and they ended up in a lot of shootouts. And Pres- and Dak Prescott, I'm a, I'm a fan of him. I think he uh deserves more credit than he's gotten. I think he's definitely worth that contract that he has. He keeps them in a lot of games. And I think offense coordinator Kellen Moore is really good at what he does. So they have a good relationship. They have a good system in place on offense. And like you said, like main three losses here are Amari Cooper at wide receiver, uh Connor Williams at left guard and Lel Collins at right tackle. You're replacing two of those guys with with rookies, albeit high round rookies and uh Tyler Smith at left guard and Jalen Tolbert at wide receiver. And then Terrence Steele a right tackle, who well, let's call him average at best, I guess. But, you know, they, they found him to be more dependable in terms of staying on the field compared to La'El. So offensively, I think it's still like, like an above average unit because they have a clear above average quarterback. They have two really good receivers in C.D. Lamb and Michael Gallup. But Gallup is still not 100% healthy. I don't think he's practicing as of yet. And this game, is, I think, is pretty early in the Bengals season. I think it's like week two or something. So I don't know if Gallup is going to play in that game or even be 100%. But even on his own, CD Cee- Cee- Lamb is one of the, I think, 10 or 15 at least best receivers in the NFL. And he's so dynamic. And Very that good. was such a great pick for them.
0: Very good. You look at the corners here. Uh, Deron Bland, Anthony Brown, Kyron Brown, of course, Travon Diggs, big play looking for a place to happen. Uh, CJ Goodwin, Kelvin Joseph, Jordan Lewis, some some good names in there. Um, you go down to, um, you know, the, the defensive ends group. Um, you know, of course, Demarcus Lawrence. You got Dante Fowler Jr., a guy who's been around the league, former high pick, bounced around, has had some highs and lows in terms of production. Uh, they got Basham in there as well. So some some names that can uh, create a couple of problems off the edge.
1: Yeah, so De- DeMarcus Lawrence is a beast, 100%. Mm-hmm. He's one of the best pass roasters in the NFL. They, yep. they no longer have Robert Quinn. That was a few years ago. I was thinking back to that. But other than that, like on defensive line, like Micah Parsons plays on the edge and he He's a dangerous player in his own right. It's like Lawrence and Parsons and then Trayvon Diggs with like his interception game. And then it's just mm. a really questionable defense all throughout. I didn't even know that Anthony Barr was on this defense. He's the middle linebacker. Um, I think because Leighton Vander is either still injured or whatnot, but even when he's healthy, like he's still a pretty good player. So the, the defense again was a problem for them last year. They gave up a lot of big plays. They gave up a lot of points. And it's one of the reasons why they ended up losing in the first round of the wildcard game. But it's defensively definitely top heavy with stars. Parsons is so good. And when he does, very, like I, I still good. I still don't know like what position he is. Like I know I think he plays mostly off ball linebacker, but he's such a dangerous edge rusher that, you know, when he blitzes off the edge, like you need to account for that. And you're already gonna have a situation where you want more attention on Demarcus Lawrence. So when you have both those guys coming off the edge at the same time, regardless of how good your tackles are, you're gonna be in
0: for a long day it's Parsons is almost like a front end defender akin to what Paul Amalu was to the Steelers in the back end of the defense. It's just kind of like, just go play. Right. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just like, it's just, just instinctual, just be around the ball because it's, it's hard to wrangle you in. And it's just, you know, you're going to do your thing. And Paul Amalu was like that kind of on the middle and back end of that defense for the Steelers for so many years. And it now seems that, that Parsons is that guy on the front, portions of the defense for the Cowboys there you've got Gallimore and Odigizua in the uh, middle there of that defense interior lineman you know so here's where the you kind of mentioned it a little bit where the Cowboys have had to really make a lot of adjustments you mentioned what they did at right tackle obviously you know Connor Williams now gone what you know what do you make of this offensive line here you've got a couple of names that are recognizable here but gone is that that true offensive line juggernaut from a few years ago, where they had basically every single player was Pro Bowl caliber.
1: Yeah, I, I think when when healthy, big, big, Tyron-
0: big question here. By the way, sorry, Tyler Smith, big oh, question yeah. mark there. Um, a guy who's got a lot of talent, but some people are going, you know, how ready is he to play?
1: Uh, I mean, he's next to another athletic freak who knows a thing or two about being an athletic freak on offensive line, Tyron Smith when healthy I, I almost thought he was like underrated at his peak because he could move like no other I remember like highlights at SC and him like pulling around the line of scrimmage he he's a freaking mutant at left tackle but now he's like 31 years old and he's been dealing with injuries in recent years but when he's on he's one of the he's still one of the best left tackles in the NFL Zach Martin is still arguably the best right guard in the NFL mm-hmm. but as we've seen with offensive lines like two really good players doesn't make up for potential liabilities elsewhere so how quick can Tyler Smith, you know, get his feet from up, um, under him, Tyler, uh, be a des at center. Uh, mm-hmm. he's, you know, he needs to take that next step too, because right now he's nothing more than just a middling guy and Terrence Steele, There's, there's some, you know, decent weeks of decent play, but the lows are, are really low for him. So it, it's definitely a questionable unit.
0: Really interesting. What's, I mean, we know Dak's going to make plays and, and, you know, if he, he, they kind of go as he goes. You mentioned the wide receivers, some talent there. We didn't really talk too much about the running backs here before we transitioned maybe to some other teams here. Uh, who knows what you're going to get from Ezekiel Elliott, right? It's like uh, just a, a wow game or where are you, right? I mean, uh, from where he was at the beginning of the uh, of his career to now, it's just, you know, wh- where he, and then Pollard is a guy who's emerged and been a, a pretty good player for them in the backfield there, so – It's going to be interesting to see what they do at the running back spot.
1: I mean, Pollard's just a better athlete at this point. Like, with with Zeke, it's the classic case of just wear and tear at the running back spot. He's been in the league for now six, seven years, and he's carried the ball like 4,000 times. So there's just a lot of tread. There's not a lot of tread left on those tires. And with Pollard, he just enters the games more fresh. And whenever he gets the ball, there's just more explosion with the way he carries it. And he just makes more use of the touches that he gets compared to Zeke. Like in the beginning of the season, you know, Zeke looks fine because he's still pretty talented, but as the season wears on, this has been the case for the past couple of years. You just see Pollard be more effective. So, you know, the more times that Zeke touches the ball, I think for the Bengals, that's a, that's a good thing.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, kind of closing up on the tight end spot, you see Sprinkle and Schultz. Those are some guys that Schultz is a pretty good player um, that could, you know, they, they can give you some problems. But overall, to me, John, this, I mean, they aside from a couple of mismatch stuff and pass rush issues that they could provide the, the Bengals, um, you know, some talent at the wide receiver spots. Again, you kind of said it well. A very top heavy team. And, and I don't know how, how deep the substance is behind that. And that's what makes them uh, a tough team, but not necessarily a scary one, if that makes sense to, to you.
1: They'll definitely survive in their division because they play the commanders and the giants. But yeah, in in a vacuum against another good team of the Bengals, it's, it's going to be tough for them. So It's going to be close, I would say.
0: Yeah. Here's the other team here that I don't – again – do they take a step back from where they were last year? They kind of, in some people's eyes, overachieved. I believe Vrabel was the coach of the year last year for what what this team went through, especially without having Derrick Henry for about half the season. But, you know, you talk about these these good teams and these teams that have been good for quite a while here, you get some attrition. And now, um, no Julio, no A.J. Brown. um, And so we're, you know... What do you make of the Tennessee Titans, a team that the Bengals went in and shocked the uh you know in the in the divisional round there? I mean, what what do you make of this this team here and where what they've done this offseason? Again, kind of not the same roster for the most part that we looked at in the postseason just last year.
1: I I look at that playoff game and I feel like it's I mean, as someone who's like both of us, we have followed the Bengals and we've seen like tumultuous playoff losses and how that can affect a team going forward. And just the way that Tannehill played in that game and the fact that they've now lost uh, A.J. Brown, a receiver like Julio was OK for them, but he wasn't nearly the same player that he was in Atlanta. But they've had to redo the, the receiver group to an extent like Robert Woods is good, but he's not A.J. Brown. Traylon Burks is a talented rookie, but he might need like a year or two to really get his feet wet. And Tannehill, man, like, I just, it doesn't seem like there's a, at least from the outside looking in, like, I don't imagine there's a ton of confidence in him from the fans or even from the players that he can take them to where they want to go. It kind of seems like last year was like their peak and they just couldn't do anything with it because, as we saw, like, Derrick Henry is a beast. Like, no one's denying that talent, but he can't, he can't carry you to a Super Bowl if Brian Tannehill is your quarterback and, he throws two interceptions in the game, and now this is going to be tougher for me for him because his receiver group has diminished.
0: Really interested in these two guys here: Christian Fulton and Caleb Farley. Two, you know, kind of high-end cornerback picks here, and I'm, I'm really curious to see how these two develop. I mean, they're entering kind of some critical years here, and um, you know, I I don't know how enamored they are. Uh, with with everything going on there, but those are two guys, and then of course here's a, a former Bengal, Greg Maven, right there. Uh, you got some <laughs> others in here. Um, you know McCreary, who's who's a rookie corner, Elijah Molden. So I mean they've got some some talent at the cornerback spots here. So that's that's definitely an area in which to um, you know in which to watch.
1: Yeah, I think both Farley and Folden are pretty talented. Like Folden had his way a few times. Against the Bengals, um, Chase didn't really do too much against them aside from uh, the screen that he caught early in the game. Farley was, I think, injured for most of last offseason. He was drafted after he had surgery or something like that. So cornerbacks, yeah. definitely much more, more of a question mark compared to safeties where they probably yeah. have the best tandem in the league And Kevin Byard and Amani Hooker. Hooker, mm-hmm. a little bit less known than Byard, who I think I remember like uh, Deion Sanders d- didn't know who Kevin Byard was. And Bayard like kind of added them like mad on Twitter, but both are good. And I think Hooker is definitely one of the more underrated players in the NFL. He was PFF's third graded safety last year and Bayard happened to be the first.
0: Yep. Uh, Bayard is a very, very good football player. Very good football player. All right. Let's kind of transition a little bit to the offensive side of the ball here. They're sticking with Tannehill. They did bring in Malik Willis. They've got former Bengal Logan Woodside rounding out the the quarterback roster spot there. Uh, Do you see Ryan Tannehill has had since he has joined the Tennessee Titans. There were a couple of nice seasons in Miami. And since he has joined the Tennessee Titans, he has enjoyed kind of a nice renaissance there for the most part. There have been a lot of, you know, it's been. The play action has worked amazing. He's seemingly more comfortable there than he ever was in Miami. It just has worked. Now there have been obviously some big game issues, none more prevalent than probably the one against the Bengals last year. Uh, and, and he, to his credit and whatnot, kind of spoke out about, man, I had to, I had to kind of seek help. I was not in a good place after that game last year. Um, so now he comes back as the leader of this team now without julio jones and aj brown i mean i i don't know man uh this this has to be kind of a, a make or break year for Tannehill year uh here which is kind of what his career has almost been kind of defined with year after year
1: yeah i don't think that he's a bad quarterback by any means like he's had he's been one of the more efficient quarterbacks since he took over that starting job a couple of years ago and one of the reasons why like i thought when Zach Taylor was hired and there were like some rumors about the Bengals trading for Tannehill or signing Tannehill in case he got released. I, got, I thought it made sense. I thought he was like that high end bridge quarterback that would just keep the ship afloat while the new coach can evaluate the roster. And Tannehill has done that. And then some obviously winning 12 games is not nothing, but there is a reason why they drafted the quarterback. Albeit They waited until the third round to draft him. But Malik Willis has that ceiling that is higher than what Tannehill is right now. And Tannehill is, Quietly 34 years old. Like he's an athletic quarterback, but that athleticism doesn't really transfer much when you enter your mid 30s. And, you know, not everyone's Tom Brady. So at, at a certain point, like Tin Hill is going to hit that cliff. It may not be this year, but again, he might not be anything more than just an above average quarterback that probably isn't going to be enough to get you to the promised land.
0: Yeah. And then, of course, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll go as uh, Derrick Henry goes. I mean, obviously, uh, they just, absolute beast at the running back spot um you know I, there I, I feel like their offensive line their defensive line they'll be stout um you know Vrabel's going to gonna make sure that that's the case it's really is there enough sizzle elsewhere is there enough is there enough firepower is ryan Tannehill gonna play well in the big games again one of these teams a little bit like the cowboys where hey this is going to be a tough game but I, I don't know that this is truly, you know, uh shaking in your boots type of game for the Bengals based on a little bit of the moves and some of the transition they've undergone in a short period of time.
1: Yeah, just to close it out, like we can't discount what their defensive line did to Very the good. Bengals, yeah.
0: Very good. And even
1: with the Bengals improving, like that's still a talented defensive line that that will sack quarterbacks every single week. Bud Dupree's not like a top-tier edge rusher, but he's he's definitely solid. Harold Landry, I think he's a little bit better. Danico Audrey, he's still kicking it. Jeffrey Simmons, one of the more dominant Simmons interior awesome. players. Yeah, they have four guys that can get that can get to you on every single down. And even against quality offensive lines, like they give guys fits. So like Tannehill's probably gonna have to just go off on like a Joe Flacco type run for them to ever do anything in the postseason. And maybe that, maybe that happens, maybe it doesn't, but you know, their defense is stout enough to keep them in games with Henry.
0: Mm-hmm. And the Bengals obviously did some did some learning from last <laughs> postseason, yeah. shoring up the the offensive line going up against teams like this. And then lastly, we've got the Kansas City Chiefs, and we all know there there's firepower here. But here's the thing: as you look at these teams, John, and you look at the Bengals and where they are and their you know what happened with them this offseason? there wasn't a lot of high end attrition of the Bengals roster. CJ Uzama's a loss. Um, you know, that's kind of one of the more major ones, but since they have rebuilt through the draft and then they're in the middle of a lot of these free agency contracts that are working out so well for them, you're not seeing a lot of their high end players leave or needing to trade them or whatever. Um, so when you look at these teams, we talked about Tennessee losing AJ Brown, you know, we talked about Dallas losing Amari Cooper, and now you're talking about Kansas City losing Tyreek Hill. You know, you could say Kelsey's their biggest weapon. I mean, it was Hill, it was Kelsey. Those two being on the field at the same time was just such a dynamic thing that brought so many mismatches to other teams, and now you lose that dynamic. They've tried to replace it, replace Hill with a lot of different things. I, I guess – Obviously, you've got Mahomes, you've got Kelsey, you've got all these other players on here that are good players, but just in general, that's the first thing that leaps out at at you when when you talk about the Chiefs and them facing the Bengals. The Bengals now don't have to game plan for a Tyreek Hill and a Travis Kelsey at the same time.
1: Yeah, I'm not entirely sure why they didn't go more into paying Tyreek Hill. I don't know if he didn't want to be there, if they just felt like they got the best years out of him and decided to just let him go so they don't deal with the ramifications of him regressing while they're paying him $30 million a year. But like that that type of receiver is just impossible to emulate. It's impossible to replace. Like Mar- Marquise v- Vandes-Scanling from Green Bay, he's not downgrading a quarterback going from Aaron Rodgers to Patrick Mahomes, but this is going to be such an interesting year for Mahomes because he still has Kelsey, still probably the best tight end in the NFL. He still has probably the best offensive line in the nfl but he doesn't have that game breaker that he can just lob <laughs> lob it up 60 yards down the field and he'll be under it ready to catch it with 10 yards of separation throwing up the deuces so him without like that elite top tier wide receiver he still has a tight end but him without that vertical threat on the outside i really am interested to see how this offense evolves andy Reid is a genius when it comes to off to offensive game planning and schematics but it's going to be a really interesting year for
0: mahomes without him it is, and we you hear just kind of going alphabetical in terms of position groups, I mean, you look at the cornerback group, McDuffie, a big, big addition. Um, you and I both really liked him when we were talking yeah. about him and going into this class here. But, I mean, you look at – I mean, think about Fenton and Sneed in the games, I mean, it's – I mean – there were some problems in this in this cornerback group as it came with the cincinnati Bengals, mcduffie a big addition there and then you know you've got some others uh in here that that are defensive backs here and then you know you look at the the defensive line of course you've got frank clark uh calhoun chalik calhoun and and others here i mean You bring in Karloftis who went one pick before Dax Hill was selected by the Cincinnati Bengals. Look, oh, by the way, who's down at the bottom there, Mr. Carlos Dunlap bringing in some, some edge uh, depth there overall. I mean, I I like Karloftis. Um, I I think a lot of people liked him. I had the chance to to speak with him briefly. Really nice, really nice guy, Uh, Carlos Dunlap. And then, you know, some others in here, I think this, this, Defensive line will still bring some fits here uh, as they did throughout much of last year, just especially now with a couple of other additions.
1: Yeah, it's definitely their best uh, positional group on defense. You know, they still had success against the Bengals in both the Week 17 game and, and the championship game. Chris Jones is still a beast. He's yep. one of the few guys that, are, that is better at Jeffrey Simmons at playing defensive tackle. I think Carl Karloftis is going to be really good immediately. Like he comes into the NFL already knowing what to do. As a pass rusher, he knows how to win despite not being an all-around amazing athlete in terms of flexibility. He's just going to win with power, and I think Dunlap can teach him a thing or two about how to utilize the gifts that he has. And Dunlap is, I think at this point, just one of those situational edge rushers at what, 32, 33 years old now for him. So for him to be on a team that you know presumably will be up in most games, and he'll, he'll get a lot of pass rushing opportunities late in the game, pretty happy for him that he has that. Frank Clark is still okay. Like, he's still a starter in the NFL. So, that defensive line is definitely stout. And, you know, there's a reason why they let Charvarius Ward go. He was burnt toast against the Bengals in that mm-hmm. first game, and they replaced him with McDuffie. But McDuffie's still a rookie cornerback and there's always a transition period. Also, Tyron Matthew is replaced by Justin Reed at safety. Matthew, to me, has always been, or at least in the past couple of years, really up and down. But mm-hmm. the ups are pretty good. And, you know, how... They move on from him, just not only playing, but as a leader as well. He was kind of a catalyst for that defense. That's going to be interesting. I think Juan Thornhill is a pretty good safety, too, so he might have to step up a little bit in terms of being a leader.
0: Offensive line, they did a lot of work last year in replacing the offensive line. They brought in Orlando Brown Jr. in a trade, drafted Trey Smith, who, uh, you know, he... he he was in there doing doing his thing, Joe Tooney. So I mean, they really did some work last year to really try and solidify things here and it paid off for them.
1: Yeah, it's definitely if not the best offensive line in the league, it's one of the best. Um I was kind of skeptical at first with how Orlando Brown was going to transition out of Baltimore's offense at left tackle. I still he still may not be like one of the five best at his position, but he's he's proven worthy of being like a high tier starter at this point. Joe Tooney is arguably the best left guard in the NFL. Bengals fans knew this when they were trying to campaign to get him signed. Creed Humphrey was arguably the best center in the NFL as a rookie who fell all the way to like the 61st overall pick last year. Mm -hmm. Um, Who's the the right guard? Who's his first name? Trey Smith, the guy Mm -hmm. out of Tennessee who had medical issues. He fell all the way to the sixth round of the draft, but he was always good at Tennessee. He was a five-star recruit. Bengals probably should have picked him up late in that draft, but he ended up being a, a pretty good starter for them as a rookie. And then you have Luke, Lucas Nyang, who's just he's, he's, a, he's a solid right tackle, but that's five quality starters with a quarterback yeah. that likes to do a lot of things in the pocket,
0: but he has all the time in the world now to do it. And then you look at the running backs' speed and versatility. You got Edwards Hilaire, you got Rojo, and you've got Jarek McKinnon, guys who can catch, guys who got some long speed. Um, so those pose as a threat there. And you know, especially as plays break down. Mahomes extends those running backs coming out of the flat or doing doing little short dump off routes. Mahomes will hit them and they can turn a short gain into a long gain pretty quickly here. So they're hoping that that continues there. And then, of course, we can look down to kind of the wide receivers and tight ends. Jordan Franks, by the way, former Bengal. Um, You got Kelsey here. And then, you know, here are the names that we're looking at without Tyreek Hill, And it's just, you know, they, they, they grabbed Sky Moore in the draft. I mean, you can look at, you know, Cornell Powell, a guy last year, they brought in Juju. You mentioned Marquez Valdez scant, uh, scantling. And then you've got, I mean, Corey Coleman, right. <laughs> I mean, I, I, that was, that's a surprise. Josh Gordon, uh, of course, Micole Hardman is a, is a threat with his speed and whatnot, but they're just, there's still a lot of talent here. There's still a lot of speed here, but it's just, not the same without Tyreek Hill in this position group.
1: Yeah, they're going to probably ask a lot out of Sky Moore, who I believe is doing pretty well in training camp so far. But again, it's training camp. But they, they might ask him to be that third receiver when they go into three receiver sets to replace uh, in part of Tyreek Hill and the way that he was vertical in the offense. Like Juju at this point, that that's an interesting pairing because – I don't know, man. Like, I don't think Juju was a bad player for Pittsburgh when, when Ben was like a competent quarterback. Like, he had a pretty good first year, maybe first two years for being like mm-hmm. 20, 21 years old. But with Mahomes, like, I, you know, I, I feel like not every receiver works well with a quarterback like that. And there might be some timing issues, but I, I still think that Juju is young enough to make something like amazing, or not amazing, but like something more out of his career. I, I'm just curious how that fits. With Kansas City, but we know the opportunity is going to be there because, like you said, there's just a lot of targets open for Abs.
0: This seems to be a team that uh, will probably, if the, everything goes well with the Bengals, once again, these two teams probably the the game they play at the end of the year and um, you know will probably be an important one again, and maybe they face off again in the postseason should everything go well for both of these teams, who they have a quarterback, who they have at head coach. And some supplemental talent around the roster. you got to figure that both of these teams will be in it down the road for sure.
1: It's just going to be harder, I guess, for the Chiefs to get out of that division. that I think they've won like 10 times in the last 10 years or something ridiculous. They've had a monopoly on the AFC West. And the AFC West in its entirety went all out to just stop this dynasty that they're building. The Chargers went all out. The Raiders, you know, they brought in Devontae Adams. The Broncos brought in Russell Wilson. So, I think with the Chiefs, like their their potential outcomes, where they finish in the in the division has never been as greater ever since they got Patrick Mahomes. They're no longer like the undisputed king in that division, but Mahomes is still Mahomes and he can still win you twelve games with his eyes closed.
0: Well, that's kind of going through the rest of the Bengals schedule as we get to preseason and all kinds of different things. So hopefully you kind of enjoyed our rundown of things and get you caught up on where the current status of some of these rosters are. Obviously some new players on all of these. So uh, hopefully you enjoyed that. We've got a lot of different things coming up on this program. Some more special guests coming down the road. Uh, We've had a couple of special ones over the past couple of weeks, which has been awesome. So we'll get you more information on that as we keep booking some of these, uh, these cool special guests here, but that is going to start to wrap it up for us. John, you have a remember when for us as we start to get on out of here.
1: Just a quick remember when I know the NFL went crazy over the chiefs, speaking of the chiefs, the chiefs Rams game a few years ago when they scored a combined 105 points on a Monday night showdown that still was one point shy of the largest or highest scoring combined game in NFL AFL merger history. And that is the 2004 meeting between the Browns and the Bengals. And this is one of my earliest memories uh, watching the Bengals. This was, I believe late in 2004. I remember this just because the Bengals wore like the orange jerseys, with the black pants, or maybe the first time since when, when they debuted the uniforms that season, and I like I always associate those uniforms, like specifically the older Reebok versions, to this game because of how wacky it was. And I, I rewatched it really quick before we started the show, and it kind of mirrored the the most recent Bengals Browns game in Cincinnati because there was an early interception by Cleveland in that game, and it led to an early score, an early lead for Cleveland, and then the Bengals responded really quickly. With a touchdown of their own, they had Chad Johnson with a 50-yard bomb from Carson Palmer. And it was just the floodgates kind of opened from there. You had 56 points from the Bengals, 46 from the Browns, just a ton of twists and turns. You had phenomenal games from both T.J. Hushmanzada, who had this amazing high pointing of, of a long touchdown grab. Rudy Johnson had a solid game on the ground. And of course, like, you know, guys are going to have great games. They scored 56 freaking points, but... Just the, the the twists and turns, the, the turnovers. Carson Palmer threw three interceptions, and maybe only one of them was really his fault. It was the worst drop I've ever seen from Chad Johnson that led to that third interception that kept the Browns in the game in the fourth quarter. But of course, as we all know, that game ended with Delta O'Neill and his pick six and the final two minutes of that game. But the, still the one of the most wild games that really no one really talks about in the annals of recent NFL history. But no game has produced more points since 1970 than that one and I believe it deserves its own remember when
0: there's nothing funnier than two teams that really couldn't stop each other uh, on offense and then the game being decided by a pick six I mean it's just (laughs) really there's really nothing nothing funnier about that and that was Delta's first year with the Bengals they they had made that trade and um, you know they they had Tory James the year prior who was a nice free agent pickup and then between those two guys they were just kind of interception machines for a couple of years there for the Bengals along with many others so I mean he was a he was a good pickup and both those guys again um, you know part of that very opportunistic 2005 defense that we talked about with David Pollock last week and so that was a that was a really really crazy game and it that was, again, 2004, the first year that Carson Palmer ended up starting for the Cincinnati Bengals, and you're kind of like, wow, I mean, they're just putting up, what was it, 58 points or something? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, granted, one was a pick six, but, I mean, that you're going, wow, this new quarterback is capable of getting this team in the 50-point range against a division rival. This is crazy.
1: Absolutely, man. Um, I don't – I believe that was week week 12, I want to say, and then the Bengals finished – eight and eight that season, but you're right, man. Like, like Palmer, even looking back at those highlights, like he could, he could move. Like he wasn't as, as stiff or as like much of a pocket passer, or like a, a true, like, you know, pocket quarterback as maybe he, the reputation kind of has ended up for him. He could, he could kind of scoot and get out of the pocket a little bit, but like that arm talent was undeniable. And mm. like, he was a number one overall pick for a reason. And he really took advantage of the weapons that the Bengals had and have always had at receiver and you really did feel like that was the start. Of like, hey, maybe, maybe they're maybe they're building something. They're not, they're not quite there yet because they still have some rough edges around the defense. But it was definitely one of those signs. It was like, you know, maybe, maybe things are kind of turning around a little bit. Yeah.
0: Well, that was a good one. Remember when, in 2004, that shootout with the Cleveland Browns that, of course, was decided by a pick six. Good one there, John. Let's drop the mic and get out of here. I Really, all I have to say is for a very long time, in Southern California, um, there's been kind of a constant voice in sports, mm-hmm. and one that uh, I don't think a lot of people—I uh, think a lot of people appreciated. But I know for a while, I you know when I would listen to this this sportscaster, I would kind of go, "Man, this this guy's a little bit all over the place." When I would watch the games in which he would announce, and little did I kind of realize later on, especially as we started kind of doing a little bit more of this stuff with the podcast and whatnot, it's there was an element of storytelling that not a lot of announcers utilized in their broadcasts. And as you got older and you kind of listened more and you you tuned in, especially the sport that he primarily broadcast, which was baseball, tended to be a slow moving sport. And so keeping the attention of, of folks on TV and radio was an art and Vince Scully was uh, Van Gogh at, at his artistry, and, you know, he lived a long life, a very eventful life, and and a very well-respected life, and he lived all the way to the ripe age of 94, but uh, still a sad day, I think, in the sports community, and really in, in a lot of, lot of different communities, because he was known as really, truly a very nice guy. Um, you know, I, I hard to, I mean, I don't mean to be crass but hard to say gone too soon at 94 but at the same time still a big loss and uh you know out here in southern california really i, I listened to a little bit of sports talk radio today and you know obviously that's all everybody is talking about and rightfully so just a, a giant in the in the media and a giant in the sports world and you know just a voice that'll that'll live on for a really 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 long time so r.i.p vince Scully.
1: yeah i mean i didn't grow up like like you know knowing who he was that well or or like waiting to like you know wh- listen to him call games but uh, upon like his death and seeing like all all the highlights of his career i didn't realize that he transcended just baseball and just in his work i didn't i didn't know he called you know iconic masters moments i didn't i had no idea he called the catch uh with the 49ers and Cowboys uh he uh, obviously the Kirk Gibson homer in the i believe like the 86 or what or 88, 88 world yeah. series yeah so like his um uh just overall span of moments and games that he's been a part of and, and made special I believe it was the, the only no-hitter perfect game in world series history like 60 50 years ago like you know th- this guy was like 25 years old in 1950 he was calling games when you know, the Dodgers played in Brooklyn and then all the way up until 2016 so like just seeing all, all that stuff last night all this stu- all the things that I never really knew about I didn't really I, I knew who he was uh, obviously because he was such an icon but you know i i didn't really understand the, the full scope of the impact that he had in just all the areas of sports that he transcended so it was it was awesome learning about that it's a shame that it happened after he died but you know he obviously had such an incredible impact on anyone even beyond just the los angeles and brooklyn community 100
0: mm-hmm. 100 what you got for us john
1: uh no, nothing much just you know another reminder that You know, we're doing this fundraiser with the Pollock Family Foundation. We're going to keep that going for the foreseeable future. We're trying to get them as close to their goal as possible. But once again, I want to reiterate a phenomenal foundation, phenomenal purpose, phenomenal opportunities, and we would greatly appreciate any and all support that you could give us. And again, if you haven't already listened to our interview with David Pollock, well, he he breaks down his time with the Bengals, his post-playing career, his doubts about entering the broadcasting industry and how he's flourished. In that. And he also goes in depth with what the Pollock Family Foundation does for the Atlanta community and everything that goes into that. So check it out. If you haven't already, we would greatly appreciate any support that you could give us.
0: Absolutely. Have a great week, everybody. We'll be back. Uh, we'll try and be back Friday for some listener questions live if my guy John is up for it. And we'll. Well, we haven't. It's been a little while since we've done that, so we'll try and do that. And then uh, we'll be getting you more and more content, more guests, all kinds of different stuff as training camp and preseason rolls around. Thanks for tuning in, John. Have a great week, my friend. Uh, take care.
1: I'll talk to you soon, man.